Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. You will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven, forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Second Corinthians five sixteen and 17. So from now on, we regard no one from the worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Please add, a reading, please add a blessing to the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Thank you. Was it just me, or is that shovel totally unnatural in Joanne's hands? <laughs> okay, that was very clever. Uh, we're on this series just called One, and we're looking at how we're unity um, as a body of believers. We're looking at how the church is united um, and we're looking at how we're united in this local congregation. And uh, today we're looking in and we're diving into the topic of hope. Um, we were going to go holiness, and then uh, we found out a little last minute that, that Holland, um, uh, who is slated to preach today, is going to be out the next couple weeks. And so uh, we are going on the, the topic of hope today, how we have one hope in Christ. We used, we used to say, Webster's Dictionary says, and, and now we say dictionary.com um, says offers a definition of hope, and the hope, um, the, the, the definition that's given um, is this. Hope, you know what, that's funny, I didn't write it down. Isn't that silly? Hope, the, the definition was something like this. Now, you just have to trust me, because I, I thought I'd wrote that down. Um, but it, it says this, it says that hope is something that we wait for in the future, that we want that we can attain. That's what the definition of hope is. And it's kind of silly because there's this futuristic element of hope um, to itself that one day I will attain. And sometimes you recognize these statements of hope. One day, maybe I'll get a raise. One day, if I play my cards right, that is if you play cards, um, one day I will own a house. One day I'll be married. One day I'll have financial security. One day I'll live a better life. Maybe one day I'll go to heaven. One day. And, and we say this all the time, don't we? I'll have hope, you know, one day. We all have different sorts of hopes and dreams, and I bet you if we went around the room that we would probably uh, find that we have quite a few hopes and dreams, and maybe we're living in those right now. Maybe there's a present reality, but maybe there's not. Maybe it's just a future, futuristic element to our hopes. Um, and something kind of silly that we do in the church, and it doesn't seem silly, um, and that's going to be the challenge of this message is to get you to see that, that uh, something is silly that, I don't know, I'll just tell you about it. Um, something silly I've noticed that we do in the church, um, we, never, uh, we never say it, but we do it all the time, is that we put our hope in heaven. Now, heaven's great, don't get me wrong, but if that's the case, then we should all just be sitting around waiting to go, Right? Right? But that's not at all what God has called us to. Of course, heaven is the reality. And I was talking with Lindy about this earlier. Uh, when we were uh, visiting with Pastor Gordon in the hospital um, before he passed away, one of the, 
one of the, his bosses at APU came by, the, the dean of theology, and he spoke at the funeral. His name is Scott Daniels. And he came over, and, and Gordon said, oh, today is orientation, and I'm, I missed it. I'm really sorry. And, and Scott kind of turned around. And he said, is, is this guy serious? Is he really serious? He's in the hospital. He's sorry that he missed orientation. But that's the kind of guy that he was. When there was something to be done, he went out and did it. He forcefully advanced the kingdom. He forcefully kept working at it all the way up until the very end. Now, if our hope was in heaven, then we should just be sitting on the couch watching TV. Yeah, we accepted Christ and we're good to go. We'd just be waiting, right? But if our hope is that Jesus gives us new life every day, and that every day we can make a difference and be redeemers in this world, then that's a totally different lifestyle. So flip with me to Genesis chapter 2, um, verses 16 and 19. And you know what's silly again is um, I prepared this message a little bit last minute. And by Genesis 2, I really mean Genesis 3. So Genesis 3, verses 16 through 19. Um, and let's dig into this. So man and women... Uh, man and woman lived in the garden, and they lived life perfectly with God. They walked with God. They communed with God. They talked openly face-to-face with God. And then at one point, Satan deceived them and, and made them believe that God was holding out, that God maybe had something else better, but he wouldn't show them, and they, they bought it. They bought right into that. And so they ate this apple, and, and they disobeyed God. And that's when sin entered this moment in the world. And so man and woman were punished for this. So Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 16, says this. And this is what God said to the woman. He said, I will greatly increase your your pains in childbearing. Right? That happened. Um, With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat. You must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So for the woman, he said, your pains will greatly increase in childbearing. And the interesting thing about these curses is that for women, childbearing is a really big deal. And for men, work and jobs and meaningful employment is a really big deal. And so he said, childbearing is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. and It's not going to be easy. And that's because you're going to remember the sin that happened back here. You're going to remember the disobeying of God. And then it says your desire will be for your husband, which is an interesting way to say there's going to be a power struggle in marriage. Um, and we could d- dive into that another time. Over here, for the men, it said, you're working the ground is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. And then eventually, this ground that you're working and the, the ground that you're going to try and be producing food from. Because remember in the garden, food just grew rampantly. It was like, oh, I'm hungry. Here's a, here's a peach. Here, I'm hungry. Here's this. Here's strawberries, whatever. It just grew rampantly everywhere. It was beautiful and glorious. But now man has to dig and to till and, and to make and, and, and to, to have this hard work to actually eat. And then one day, after you're tilling and digging and really working that ground, your body will return to the ground. For dust, out of the dust you were created, and out of the dust you'll return. And so the curse of man and woman 
became that there would be pain, life would be hard, life would be difficult, and not only that, one day you're going to die. Right? That's, that's tough. That one day it's just all going to end. And this is the curse that we live under. But, flip with me to Matthew chapter 16 real quick. So for a long time, this is the curse that Israel lives under. They, they, go, um, they, they go down to Egypt, and they escape Egypt, and then they go up, um, they claim their land to Israel. They, they claim the promised land. And then they begin to obey God and live this beautiful kingdom. And, and then they go back backwards a little bit, and they disobey God and things like that. And they can't seem to get past this curse. They can't seem to live a better way. They can't seem to get it all together. They can't seem to pull it all together. And then Matthew 16, what's happening here is this guy, Jesus, comes on the scene, and everybody just thinks he's just some guy, but he does some pretty amazing stuff. He heals people in Capernaum. He, he casts out demons. He um, walks on water. Who is this guy? And in Matthew 16, um, one of the things he asked his, his disciples is, who do people say I am? And this guy, Peter, was like, oh, you're, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one who's going to save everything and everybody. You're the one who's going to redeem this whole land. You're the one who's going to change literally everything. And Jesus said, very good. You're, you're right. And then right after that, in verse 21, it says, from that time on. Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. And, and what happened was Peter rebuked him. He said, oh, Jesus, not you. you. You wouldn't go and die. You need to come and save us. Because they had this idea that salvation to them was, was right here, right now, was this earthly salvation, was that kick out the, the Roman oppressors, but salvation, that's what salvation looks like, is to be free in our own land. And that's what it was. But Jesus was like, no, you have such a low view of what salvation is. I need to die and be raised to life. And they didn't get that. They didn't get the significance of being raised to life. Flip with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul talks about this. The theme of the New Testament literally is the resurrection. Um, flip with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For the whole chapter is a wonderful read. It's a great read. And I really recommend um, in your home groups or just at home going and studying that. But we're going to just look at a couple verses. That's verses 20 through 22. Paul is making this argument because the first Corinthian church, some of them did not believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. And in the first Corinthian church, Paul was saying, hey, listen, do you remember what I preached to you? Because if you don't follow this, if you don't believe this and your faith is totally useless, then you might as well just go live like the pagans because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then, then something's wrong with your faith. So let's look at this, verse 20. But Christ has indeed raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through one man and resurrection of the death comes through a man. And the resurrection of the dead comes through one man. For as in Adam all die, in Christ all will be made alive. Do you get what he's doing here? He's going all the way back to the curse. The childbearing, the difficult, the, the tilling the ground, the difficultness there, and then the eventual death. And he says, do you get that because of Adam, everybody dies? Do you get that? That we're all under this curse. But then do you get because Jesus raised from the dead that everybody actually lives? 
Do you get that? Do you see what we're saying here? That if, you're, if you don't get that, if you don't understand that Jesus raised from the dead and everybody has life, then you're still living under the curse and you're still living under this death. That, oh, one day I'm just going to die. Or, oh, I'm just waiting. But if you live over here, then you have a new life beginning right now. Do you get that, church? That's what Paul was saying to his church. And they didn't get it at the time, but Paul really just explained it to them. They didn't understand, even the disciples, when Jesus said, from that time on, Jesus had to explain to them that he was going to die and raise himself up again. They didn't understand the new life that they would have. All they knew is that their leader would be gone. They didn't get it. But do you get what Paul is saying here? For as in Adam all die, this is verse 22, so in Christ all men will be made alive. This is the ultimate conquering of death. The one, excuse me, the one, Christ is the one who lives. Paul, the apostle, um, actually has his view of resurrection that resurrection, the resurrection of Christ is actually the initiation of the kingdom of God on earth. Because one of the verses that we read today, and, and we're actually going to look at this in a, in a few moments here, but the, um, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught us to pray for the coming of the kingdom of heaven. That's what he taught us to do. One of the things that we do is we pray for the coming of the kingdom. But Paul had this view all the way through his epistles and his writings to their churches, that the resurrection of Christ was actually the new starting point for the kingdom. That all the way up until this point in time, they'd been living under the curse. But right here, when Jesus died, when he took his life back up again and he conquered the curse, he said, you can live a different life. Something new is possible for you. You do not have to live that way anymore. There's something different possible for you. Flip with me one book over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is the verse uh, that Gabriella read um, for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 16 through 17 say this. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, and that's an important statement, we once regarded Christ as from a worldly point of view because they knew him. It was like, oh hey Jesus, do you want to go grab a burger? Pretty sure they had ostrich burger. I'm kidding. I don't know. I just needed to break something up there. Anyways, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. This is the point of this verse. Is that all the way up until this specific point of time, we were living under the, the, the curse, and then now, boom, the resurrection, we can live a new life. You're a new creation. You are actually recreated. Remember when Jesus was talking, and, and Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, and he says, you need to be born again, and, and the guy just couldn't get it. He couldn't fathom it because Jesus hadn't risen from the dead yet. And it's understandable that before that, to, to be confused, to say, okay, what is Jesus trying to say here? But Jesus said, you actually get a new life. You get a second chance. You get to be reborn. You get to try this again. Uh, and, and I'm going to give you this new life. You don't have to live under the curse. You can live under the life. And I'm giving that, and I'm giving it abundantly. That's what I've come to do. As a new creation, your past doesn't define you anymore. Your desire for evil turns to a desire for good. The temptations that used to shake you down no longer have audience in your mind. 
Because God creates you new. Because God transforms. So as Christians, we, often, we get saved. And sometimes we have this mental conversion. And it's just like, wow, I believe this. Great, I'm saved. Let's watch football. You know, or great, I'm saved. Let's go to church on Sunday and then, uh, you know, let's look pretty religious and then we're good. But sometimes our life gets stagnant. And, and when that happens, the hope is heaven, right? And when, when, we, when we have, I mean, and heaven's a great thing. Heaven's a great thing to hope for. And, but heaven is the reward of a life well lived. Heaven is the reward of a life with God. Heaven is literally like the next step. And, and um, I was reading this book by a guy named N.T. Wright, and he was talking about heaven. And, and he said, you know, some people think that heaven is way off. He's like, but I like to think of it as just this different realm that's right next to you that you just step right into after you die. And I thought that's really helpful for me to, to see that, to not be scared of death and to actually see that it's just this next possible, the next thing in your life of a life living with God, walking with God. You stop from life, you walk from life to eternal life. Amen. Thank you, Malcolm. Made me think that everybody stayed home from the rain. <laughs> Today, I, or uh, this last week, I was uh, speaking with, a, with, with I, uh, there's this woman I know, I was speaking with her and she was asking me, oh, you're preaching this week, what are you preaching on? And I said, oh, I'm, uh, I'm preaching on, on hope. And she's a Jewish woman, and she asked me, um, she's like, oh, okay. And she's very familiar with Christian theology. So I, I said, do you know what hope is for Christians? And she said, salvation. And I said, okay, yeah, that's, that's good. Salvation into what? And she said, well, heaven. And I was like, well, yeah, that's nice, but, but if you were to live that way, then, then you'd live a pretty stagnant life. But if you were to live in a way that my hope is right here, right now, that God just totally transformed and changed me because of his resurrection, I'm a new creation, and that I'm actually not just that, but a co-laborer with God, then your life is totally transformed, and you have a total meaning, totally new meaning and purpose to your life. Because the, the purpose for I'm just living for heaven is to die, right? I mean, that's the implication. That's, that's the implicit theology of that, is that, well, I'm just going to wait till I die. But over here, the, the whole idea of Christ is raised from the dead and given me this new life means that you get to live life abundantly. And so she said, wow, that's a different thought. But I think that that's the way most Christians think about it sometimes. Jesus trampled over death. And like I said, don't get me wrong, heaven is an awesome reward. But it's not our main hope. Can you imagine these two different competing ideologies sharing Jesus maybe two different ways? One way, someone says to you, I'm really struggling with life. My kids can't stand me. My marriage is in shambles, and I'm just not sure if I can hang in there. And so if heaven's your hope, you'd probably say, well, accept Jesus, and one day you'll be in heaven, and you won't have to deal with all that stuff anymore. You know, that's one way of doing it. Or, in the same situation, you can respond something like this, well, I know life is tough. I know it seems like it can't get any better, but Jesus wants to give you a new life now. And not only that, he wants to transform everything about you and make you a better you. And when it's all said and done, heaven is a reality. Life with God is a reality. And there's some people that that's just the way they live, and you look at that and go, yes, that's the right way to live. But I think sometimes we need to reframe our starting point in our mind 
And see, our hope is the resurrection of Christ. And our hope is that our lives can be different. Our hope is that our lives can be totally and radically transformed and changed so that one day we can be with Christ in heaven. Amen? All right. Flip back to 1 Corinthians um, chapter 2. I'm sorry. I'm going to have you flip it around. Flip with me to Matthew chapter 9, or 6. See, I'm all real dyslexic today. Um, That's... (laughs) Just flip in the Bible until you land on something, and then we'll preach on it. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. This is another verse that Gabby read. Jesus, in verse 9, says this. This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, how would be your name? Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus teaches us to pray that God would have this collision of heaven and earth. That, there, that heaven would one day invade earth in such a powerful way that everything would change. I mean, look at this again. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And like I said, Paul kind of teaches in the, in the New Testament that the starting point for that kingdom coming is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, then what do we do? Flip back to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. See, now I got you moving. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. Paul says this to, to the church in Corinth. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. The one thing that I want to zero in on is this statement. As God's fellow workers. If you look through the epistles and Paul's letters to, to the different churches, you will see this statement over and over and over and over again. As God's fellow workers, Paul had an understanding that once we accept this reality of being a new creation, once we accept this new starting point of the resurrection, once we get that, that we are co-laborers with God. That God, it, like literally God is saying, will you be my co-worker in this? Will you, I'm trying to redeem this entire world. Would you work with me on this? I'm trying to bring people closer to me. Can you work with me on that? I'm trying to show people their life as it could be. Would you work with me? Would you be my partner in it? I love that. As God's fellow workers... Paul has this understanding that what we do now lasts to eternity and what we do now is so significant because everything that we do, our job on earth is to be God's fellow workers. So if the kingdom is initiated at the resurrection of Christ, then we are the workers, we are the ones bringing heaven closer to earth every single day. Do you bring heaven to earth at your job? Or do you bring hell? I mean, really. Do you bring heaven to earth at home, or do you bring hell? Do you bring heaven to earth in your marriage? Do you bring heaven to earth with your family? Do you bring heaven to earth with your kids? Are you God's fellow worker? Is that your goal? So what is our hope as Christians? That we can live a new life right here, right now. That God has us on this mission to reclaim what is broken. That God has given us this giant task. That believers all over the world are on this same mission together. And that's our job as Christians. 
that all of us as believers have new life, that all believers would go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. And then surely Jesus will be with us because he lives. The reason that Jesus can be with us is because he lives. The reason why we can have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life is because Jesus lives, is because Jesus raised from the dead. So we are here to work for redemption and reconciliation because when we do, it brings heaven closer to earth. We might invite others into this mission, into this relationship with Christ, because when we do, heaven comes a little closer. Hope is something that's not in the future. Remember, we started out with the definition of hope that some of you can Google because I apparently didn't write it down, but we started out with the definition of something that you wish for in the future. But Jesus said, no, hope is right here, right now. Hope is something that, that, hope is a new and changed and different life. Hope is being a new creation. Hope is God invading your life and changing everything about you. Hope is God invading this world. Hope is God invading this church. Hope is God invading this community and changing everything about it. Revelation 21 paints this beautiful picture of the eventual marriage of heaven and earth. And and I just want to read a, a hair of this real quick. I mean, it's one of my favorite passages in Revelation. It says, There, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Sorry, Pastor Mark, he's a big surfer, but in heaven there's no sea. Pastor Mark's with his son this morning, by the way. Um, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. He, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain, for the older of things has passed away. And this is the really important part. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for the words are trustworthy and true. I am making everything new. Some translation says, behold, I make all things new. And some really smart theologians, people who are smarter than me, said that that statement right there in Revelation 21 is referring back to the resurrection of Christ when Christ made himself new and gave us new life. And we're part of that mission until heaven comes to earth. We are part of that mission of bringing heaven to earth. Is that your mission? Is that what you're doing today? Is that your new starting point? So maybe you're here today and go, wow, what do I do with this? What do I tangibly do with this? Some of you are still living under the curse. Some of you are just waiting for heaven. One of the most encouraging things, on jury duty, by the way, one of the most encouraging things that ever happened to me was I was on jury duty, and I met a 94-year-old woman who volunteered for jury duty, and I said, why'd you do this? And she said, I was bored. And I said, okay. Um, And she's reading a book. And the reason why I started talking to her is because she was reading The Purpose Driven Life. And I said, why? Just out of curiosity, you're 94, you're getting up there. Why are you reading this book? And she said, well, I could always do better and I could always you know, lead people towards Christ more. And I, I was like, this is amazing. This 94-year-old woman is continuing with the mission and the vision of God creating all things new. 
But maybe you are here today living under the curse. There's no hope, or hope is far off. It's something in the future. But a life with Jesus, a life of saying yes to Christ and asking for renewal and change and all that, you just haven't done yet. And maybe that's you today. You're like, hey, I'm living under that. I'm living under this curse, and I need to live under new life. Maybe you're here this morning, and that's what you want. And I want to encourage you that that's for you today. That is absolutely for you. And we're going to pray in a moment, and and I'm going to invite you into that. Two, some of you accepted Jesus on a rational level. It makes sense. It absolutely does. In fact, if we were to get some, like, apologetics going in here, I could just, I, I could spend hours with you saying this is true because of this and this, and archaeological studies said that they found this, even something really important, really interesting. Um, a recent archaeological study found, if, all the way back in the book of Daniel, um, you remember this hand came out of a wall and wrote many, many Tekel Parsons on this wall and stuff, and anybody remember that? King Xerxes? Yeah, Paul does. He's raising his hand. Everybody else is totally lost. They recently found that temple in an archaeological dig, by the way. No one thought it existed, and then they recently found that. Anyways, we could defend the faith for hours, and maybe you're there, rationally, mentally. Yes, I accept Jesus. This all makes sense to me. Absolutely. But you've never made that shift from living under the curse to living a brand new life. And maybe today that is for you, to live into the resurrection, to actually have that new life and to actually walk anew and to be a totally new person. What if you lived as a redeemer? What if you brought hope to the hopeless? What if you met the physical, educational, and spiritual needs of the community? What if you did that? What would change? What would look different? What if the time to change was now? What would change about you? Or three, maybe you're just here today and you're on board, and the answer is yes, and I'm, I'm going to be a co-laborer with God. In fact, I've been one for years. Great. I want to invite you to teach other people how to do that. Because, you know, we're not all too good at that all the time. And I want to invite you to live such good lives, to be such mentors to others, to live that transformed life and to help others. Maybe you're here today and you're just saying, you know what, yes, that's, that's me but I need God to to guide me and direct me a little bit more. I want to invite you to pray the craziest prayer of your life. And that's just simply three words. And if you pray this prayer, you will be sorry, I guarantee you. God, use me. I guarantee you, you'll be sorry. No, actually, you'll be really excited, but then you'll be like, man, I prayed that prayer so many years ago and I really meant it, and now look what God did to me. Um, I was moving back from Newport Beach because I didn't have any money. And I, well, my wife makes fun of me because I say Newport Beach, but I lived in Santa Ana Heights. I was just trying to impress her. Um, I couldn't hang with the Newport crowd, but friends of mine in college wanted to surf all day, and I thought that was a great idea. But I was moving back defeated, no money, not feeling used by God, and I said, God, use me. My brother called and said, this little church has a skate park. I'm leaving. Would you, would you be their skate park guy? And I said, I don't know. I've never, I've never been to that church. So I met, went and met with Gordon. He said, great, we need somebody quick. We'll interview you, in a, we'll interview you uh, in a little bit, but come and just watch the skate park for right now, and we'll take care of the details later. Moments before that, I prayed, God, use me. So I want to I be real cautious. I want you to be real cautious. But if you pray this prayer, something's going to happen. God's going to use you in a, in a mighty and crazy way. 
So today, maybe that's your reality. Maybe you've just been living under the curse and you need to say, God, I need to live a new life. God, transform me. Help me live anew so that one day, eventually, I can be with you. Two, maybe you've accepted Jesus on that rational and emotional and, and the, um, the mental level, but you need to go deeper in your walk with him. And you need to pray, God, use me. Maybe that's where you're at. So today, we're just going to pray. And in a moment after we pray, um, I'm going to invite our, our guys to bring the communion table up. We're going to just celebrate communion today. The fact that Jesus did die so that we could be clean, so that we could have a totally new night life. He wiped the slate clean so that when he raised to life, we could start all over again. Let's pray. Jesus, there are some here, God, who've been living under this curse for years, and they've been saying, God, why me? Why am I still broken? But God, you simply want to love them, and you simply want to show them the new life that they could have. So if that's you, this morning. If that's you, I just want to invite you to do something totally crazy and just stand right where you are because I want to pray for you. If that's you, if you've been living under the curse and you need to live a new life today and you need to accept Jesus right here at this moment and live something brand new, I invite you to stand. I'm going to pray for some of you who are mentally standing. Jesus, there's some people here today who just seem to say, God, receive me into your kingdom and help me live a new life. We're going to leave space for that to happen right now. Father, there's some of us here today who just need to pray the absolute insane prayer, God, use me. So Lord, would you do that right now? Would you use us God, those people who are praying that right now, Lord, would you use us? Father, would you help us pass from death to life right now and begin living this new life so that we can be co-laborers with you and do some amazing things. In the name of Jesus, amen. In the Wesleyan Church,